Uh, it's going to be an incredible day. We, we don't keep you long, believe me, because uh, Sunday is the day that I leave here, go eat, and lay before the Lord. Um, <laughs> tell you, my spiritual gift is napping. I'll just tell you. But are you ready to kick off the first series of the year? First series of the new year. If you missed last week, I'll just go ahead and tell you, you missed the best message that I've preached all year up to this day. It was the first and only message. Okay. This. Anyway. Hey, hey, let me ask you a question. What are you going to do with what you have now? What are you going to do with what you have now? Just curious. Just, just curious. Uh, let's move on anyway. Um, as I prayed about how to start uh, this year off and thought about those that God was bringing into our community and you know, I thought about how I, I could try to wow you with my spiritual intellect and wisdom uh, and go very deep. Or I, I could teach on the fundamentals of our faith. Uh, and the more I thought about it, I thought, well, I cannot wow them with my spiritual intellect and wisdom. So let's go shallow. Let's keep it, let's keep it base. Let's keep it on the fundamentals. Uh, and, and when I was talking about fundamentals, let me... I mean, have you ever sat down to play a game, a board game, or a card game? You've been playing it that way as ever since you could remember. And then somebody comes in and tells you, this is not the way you play this game. And you realize you've been playing it wrong the entire time. This is a true story. Uh, people that know me, I love board games. I love cards. I love those things. And uh, I, I've gotten this new board game. And so me and Denise sat down with a couple of friends of ours, John, David, Charlotte. And I'm one of those that when we play a new game, I'm going to say, listen, everybody quiet. I'm going to read these rules time. I do not want, what, what do we need to do? No, I'm reading them one time. You're going to listen, then we're going to play. I went through the rules. We began to play this game. Well, from the get-go, my wife said, this it doesn't make sense. Why would we do it this way? We played for like an hour, an hour and a half of people. Man, it's just, I was like, listen, I read the rules, play it, but this is the way we go. Well, at the end, we're putting away the game, and John David grabs the rules and says, um, we haven't played this game right the entire night. No wonder it did not make sense. And I'm convinced there are a lot of people trying to live this life Walk this out, wondering why it does not make sense. Because they grew up seeing someone else live what they thought was this Christian life. And they've been playing by the wrong rules and wondering why it doesn't make sense. So that's why we're going to do the fundamentals. And if you wonder what the, here, here's what the definition of fundamentals is. It's what the dictionary gives. Serving as or being an essential part of a foundation, forming the base from which everything else develops. Here's what arguably one of the greatest basketball players of all time, Michael Jordan, said about the fundamentals. Get the fundamentals down, and the level of everything you do will rise. I think, guys... If we, the church, if we as followers of Jesus can get the fundamentals down, everything else we do will rise. Are you hearing me? Come on, are you hearing me? See, some of y'all are, are, are still back there on, 
arguably the greatest when I said Michael Jordan. And listen, don't throw me your LeBron James argument. Don't throw me in those. Michael Jordan is arguably the greatest basketball player to ever play the game. Some of y'all need to give an altar call for the, ask you to repent for the way you thought about me when I said that. <laughs> the fundamentals. Get the fundamentals down. And the level of everything else we do will rise. Uh, I, I wrestle with the title of today's message. I had one title, went back to another title, went to this title. So I decided I'm going to combine both titles. Today's message called Word with the subtitle, Blowing smoke. Blowing smoke. Uh, uh, and I'll, I'll explain that here in a minute. A lot of us followers of Jesus, we want God to give us these big opportunities when we haven't been obedient with what he's given us right now. People will say something like, if God would, would do this in my life or do that in my life, my faith would soar and I would be so much quicker to be obedient. The honest truth of what you're saying is what we call here in the South, you're blowing smoke. You're full of hot air. Because we've seen you make these promises before and nothing ever really changes. And if you're, uh, I'm not, listen, I realize everybody's not from the South that we have had a lot of people that have got saved from the north and come to the holy city of the south. And uh, people from California decided, hey, listen, I can't take this hedonistic world anymore. Let me go to, anyway, so. But, so let me explain when I say when I blow on smoke. Here's what Wikipedia, how they define it. To speak with a lack of credibility or truth. To speak nonsense. Here's the way dictionary.com defines it. To say things that are not true in order to make yourself or something you're involved with seem better than it is. In other words, you're saying the right things, what you think people want to hear from you, but there is no follow-through. You're blowing smoke. And I'm Kelly, not Casey. <laughs> So quit blowing smoke and interrupting me. So, <laughs> well, what do you mean here? When I hear a man or woman say, hey, I want to grow in my faith. They want to get more involved. Yet they always have an excuse why they can't show up for Monday night prayer. I want to grow in my faith. Yet they always have an excuse why they can't come to the next man up breakfast or the women's brunch. Or event, something that helps them grow. I want to grow my faith. Well, where are you at? Oh, you're blowing smoke. Or, or you got the man, that a woman that has an area of their life. They know it needs to change. They need accountability in that area. Yet they never sign up for a discipleship group. They never sign up for one of the classes. Never show up on a Wednesday night to make themselves accountable to the other. You got the couple that says, I want to strengthen my marriage. I want a better marriage in 2023. I want our communication to be better, our relationship to be better. But they scoff at the idea of paying $125 for a marriage retreat. I'm just going to let that hang there for a minute. I'm going to tell you that $125 will be the best investment you make in your relationship this year. Or here we go, the person that says they would die for their faith, 
and they'll get bent all out of sorts with something that's said about God or about the Bible. They'll post about it on social media, yet they won't share their faith with their next-door neighbor. Blowing smoke. And the problem is we, we're a fast-food society. We want, if we want something, we want it to happen right now. Are, are you hearing me? We, we, we want it. And the problem is when you look through the Bible, God doesn't work that way. I, I mean, you've got Joseph. Joseph had to be faithful uh, in slavery and in prison before he was put in charge in Egypt. You've got David. David had to be faithful in the field herding sheep before he went out and killed a giant. Uh, Stephen had to wait tables for widows before he defended his faith to the masses. God isn't going to trust us with something more until we start doing and being obedient with what he's given us right now. So again, I ask you, what are you going to do with what you have right now? It matters what you're, if you're being faithful with what you have right now, matters. Jesus said this in Luke 16, 10. The one who faithfully manages the little he has been given will be promoted and trusted with greater responsibilities. But those who cheat with the little they have been given will not be considered trustworthy to receive more. Guys, maybe it's time that we stop praying and asking for bigger, better assignments and start just being faithful with the ones we've been given right now. Maybe it's time we stop praying uh, for a life of impact and start just doing something impactful. Are you hearing me? See, when it comes to the fundamentals of our faith, here's what we need to understand if you're taking notes. Obedience breeds opportunities. Obedience, it breeds opportunities. You start being obedient, you start, when God says you do it, you do it. I'm going to tell you, because I mean, there is no quick fix, amen? There's, I, I know I want a quick fix. I, I, I'm that type, of, see, when I grew up playing video games, you had to work through, if you found a level that was too hard, you had to play until you figured out how to beat it. Not today, Google it on YouTube, and it'll show you how to walk through that, how to beat I just did it this weekend. I'll just be honest. I'm like, I am too old and tired to figure out this puzzle. I'm going to go on YouTube and figure it out. But here's what I say. Do what you can do. There is always something you can do. And what you can't, you trust God with that. How many know there are some things you don't have to pray about? Are you hearing me? As a follower of Jesus, there are certain things I don't have to pray about. I don't have to pray about serving. God, do you want me to serve? No, you, you show me in your word. Jesus served. And, and if I'm trying to be like Jesus, I'm going to serve. I don't have to pray as a follower of Jesus. I don't have to pray about giving and tithing. Where, where, where I get fed, where my home, I don't have to pray about that. Because that's what I do. I don't have to care, pray about caring for people or giving back or showing up. Do something right now with what you have been given and see if God doesn't honor your obedience and faithfulness in that area. Jesus said it. Those that have been faithful, obedient with a little, God gave them more. You, you, you've heard Pastor Ben and Amanda talk about their 
the, the financial struggle they'd been in with an insurance company. And they had to fork out all this money and waiting for the insurance company to pay and back and forth, back and forth. Well, Ben, I told that story this morning, and Ben come in, the, in, in my office and said, it was a year this past October that y'all still, and we're still in the middle of it. And it's not just hundreds. I'm talking close to $50,000 that they've had to, and that they've, they're, they're, they've had to take from everywhere they can take. And so, but here's what I love about Ben and Amanda. Every Sunday, Ben gets up here, and he does his old school check, writes that amount out, and puts it in there. Why? Because he's not waiting for the insurance company to come through. He's not waiting for something big to happen. What he's doing, he's doing with what he has right now. He's going to be obedient. He's going to be faithful in that. He's not waiting for something else. He's doing what he can do right now. Are you hearing me, church? And, and, and we're going to do, here, so I'll ask again, what are you going to do with what you have now? Here's what I know. Every person in this room and watching online, if you are a follower of Jesus, you're in possession of some things. And the question, that's what I'm asking, what are you going to do with what you have right now? Well, PK, what, what do we have? Well, let's start here with the fundamentals, the Word of God. As a follower of Jesus, I have the Word of God. We started this Bible reading plan the last Sunday church-wide. And, and, you know, and it's, you, it's still not too late to get involved. You can still sign up. There's a link on there uh, on our Facebook site where you, where you can sign up there and join. But the discussion has been great. Oh, let me say, listen, it's limited to 150. And I said earlier we were up to like 30, but we actually got like 60-plus people signed up. So we had more than I thought. But the discussion, the insight, how many know I, I can read that passage of Scripture and see one thing? Somebody else reads it, and it speaks an entirely different way to them. That's what's so powerful about the Word of God, and I love hearing the insight. Here's what Paul said about the Word of God in 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. Every part of the Scripture is God-breathed. And useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, and training how to us to live God's way. Every, what parts of Scripture are God breathed? Every part. Hebrews says it like this: Hebrews four twelve. The Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The Word of God. Here's what one writer says about reading your Bible. He said this, when we read it, the Bible opens us up. It reads us. It searches us in the deepest way possible. It reveals our hurt, hearts, our motivations, and it convicts and comforts us. That's the Word of God. That's what we have, what we have right now as a follower of Jesus. Jesus said this in Luke 21, 33. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not my words. Not my words. It, they, will, they, they will never pass away. Here's the problem with a lot of us that call ourselves Christians. We don't, I don't think we have the slightest clue 
That's through the power that the Word of God holds. And listen, I'm not just talking about this generation. I grew up in church. I grew up around it. And I don't think they knew they had the slightest of the power of the Word of God. Because here's what I'm convinced of. It's like we believe the Bible up to a certain point. There are certain things we, we believe about the Bible. But then that's it. But what do you mean? Like we believe the Bible when it comes to our salvation, right? We pray a prayer. We believe that, that uh, Jesus is the Son of God, that he died, he was crucified, he was raised from the dead. We believe that. We pray a prayer. We're saved. We believe that, right? We believe that. We're obedient. We'll pray that. And we'll believe it up to a certain point. But here's, here's the problem. Us as human beings, most of the time we're obedient as long as it's something we want to do or something we believe. Church, what would happen if you and I began to actually believe and apply what his word says? How would that change things? Well, Keller, why all this scripture about the Bible? Because it's the fundamentals. And if we can get the fundamentals down, everything else we do will rise. Here's the truth. Uh, it's the small things that no one sees that bring about the big things that everyone wants. Everybody wants the big things, but they don't want to do the small things to get there. And listen, I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings. I know this is a sensitive culture we're living in. But we live in a participation of war society. I remember when you actually had to win to get a trophy. Actually, I remember when you actually had to apply yourself to get something great. But we live in a society that just wants you to hand it to them. Come on, stay with me. And that man is about to get really personal. I'll just look down and saw what my next note was. Boy, man, I'm talking about, I've, I've talked to people that refuse to take a minimum wage job because they're waiting on something bigger to come along. And so they'll sit at home on the couch waiting for that minimum wage job and complain about their finances. That was good, Pastor Kelly. Nobody else stayed there. That's good. That's good. Somehow that mindset has crept into the church. We want something without having to do anything for it. See, salvation is free. It is free. But somehow people want the blessing of community or a blessing of community without the covenant of community. They want to be able to come in here and get the blessings of it, but never really connect. People want the blessing of having a loyal friend without being a loyal friend themselves. People want the financial blessing without the faithfulness of being a giver. People want all the promises God's word talks about, but we don't want to change anything about our lives to get them. Let's talk about peace. We, we all want the peace of God, right? I do. 
I want the peace of God. Here, when Jesus was prophesied about in Isaiah, we talked about this in, in our Christmas series. Isaiah gives him four names. He says, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. What was the fourth name? Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. I want, I want Jesus to be the Prince of Peace in my life, right? And, and so we see we got to understand, though, what it really means. Because our concept of, of peace is the absence of trouble, the absence of problems, the absence of a stressful situation. But when he says he's the Prince of Peace, let me tell you what the Hebrew, the Hebrew word, that is derived when it comes to Prince of Peace is this word, Sar Shalom. Here's what it means. Sar, the first part, the one who is in charge. Captain, Lord, the chief, commander in charge. See, the Romans took this word and made it Tsar. And then later it would be turned into Caesar. It just simply meant the one that was in charge. And when you add the second part, Shalom, here's what it means. Rest. Tranquility, wholeness, completeness. So when Isaiah announces wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and the prince of peace, he was announcing the star, shalom, which Jesus is this, the captain of rest, the chief of wholeness and completeness. He is the one in charge. That's what he was announcing. Peace is the byproduct, though. Of us embracing his lordship over our lives. Here's what I find. We love Jesus the Savior. Not so much Jesus the Lord. We love that he saved us. And I'll buy into the Bible and everything it says up to that point. The lordship, come on, there's some things that Jesus don't understand about my life. Really, his dad made you. But we operate outside the lordship of the star Shalom and then wonder why we don't have any peace. You take a couple coming to church every week. They're dating. They're going out and they're having sex. And they wonder why they have little to no peace in their life or in the relationship because they're operating out of the lordship of star Shalom. They're not doing what the star Shalom says, hey, this is the way relationships should be. That's why a couple, a married couple, they can get into a huge fight, call each other names, embarrass the kids, and then no peace with God, right? Because they're not living under the lordship of the Sar Shalom. I mean, can you run up a credit card and spend more than you make and expect to have peace? No. Because you're operating outside the will of the Sar Shalom, the steward of what he's given you. It is only when we submit to the lordship, the authority of the Sar, that we get the Shalom part. Are you hearing me? Listen, we do not get to define Christianity and have it on our own terms and then expect to get the blessings that it brings. Here's something important we need to understand when it comes to the Word of God. Our response to the Word of God is vital. It's vital. 
parent, how many parents we got here? Um, let me ask you, how, how many, that it's extremely important how your kids respond to you? See, see me, the way I grew up, um, it was extremely important how I responded to, to my mom or dad. Uh, uh, the way I responded to them could mean the difference between life and death. It could mean the difference between a simple grounding to me and dad playing merry-go-round where he grabs one hand, my hand, they got a belt in the other, and I'm trying to check. You know, come on. Anybody remember those days when kids respected their... Uh, let's go. Let's go. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. I don't want to, I don't want to separate anybody, so... But can I tell you, when my kids were growing up, it was important how they responded. If I, when I told Zion, go clean your room, and he, he said, okay, Dad, and didn't, it was important. I tell Sharon or Kenny, hey, go do this, go do that. Yeah, Dad, I'll get to it in a minute. No, no, no. How we respond is vital. It's vital. They're grown and married. One of them, and Zion, the last, he's engaged now. Even then, it is still vital how they respond to their mom and I. It's still vital. So I want to look real quick at two kings and how their response to the word of God was vital to their life. Uh, the first one is a guy named uh, Josiah. It's found in 2 Kings 22, if you want to turn there. Uh, get this, Josiah was only eight years old when he became king. Eight years old during the time leading up to him becoming king the word of god the law the scrolls they had gotten lost uh, nope, it what they had lost they finally find them when josiah is 26 so from eight years old or before that up to 26 there's no mention josiah doesn't hear the word of god he doesn't know what god has said about his children about anything he doesn't know any of that and look at here when he first hears the written book of God. 2 Kings 22, 11. When the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. When Josiah heard of God's holiness, when Josiah heard all the promises of blessing and judgment God had given to his people, it says that King Josiah tore his robe. Why is that important? Because for a king to tear his robe was an act of humility. The king was saying, hey, hey, understand my position as king doesn't matter right now. Because there is someone above me right now. And I tear my robe. So now this, this right here this, that shows who I am, it doesn't matter. He's saying basically what he said, God, I repent. I repent. You are right, and I am wrong. That's what he was saying. That's how he responded. And because of Josiah's response to the word of God, look what happens, verses 19. God says, you were sorry and humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I said against this city and its people, that this land would be cursed and become desolate. You tore your clothing in despair, wept before me in repentance, and I have indeed heard you, says the Lord. Because 
of Josiah's response to the word of God, God showed mercy. Mercy. Listen, church, how we respond or don't respond to the word of God, it will impact your life in some way. Are you hearing me? Our response to what the Bible says is vital. Remember hearing this story of this pastor? Him and another uh, pastor at the church were counseling this young lady. Uh, who, she, she had been attending church there for a while. She was in this relationship. Uh, her boyfriend wasn't a Christian. And, and uh, this is actually a true story. And, and she had been having sex with her boyfriend, living outside of God's law. And they had been counseling with her. She had wanted counseling. And, and, the, and the young lady kept saying, I know that God brought him into my life for a reason. And the pastor said, he said, I asked her, how do you know this? And her response, I just do. And the pastor said, we pleaded with this young woman to turn from her sin and, 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 and to repent for this and, and, and get her life together. He said, he said, I gave her three different scriptures from the Bible that talk about uh, sex outside of marriage and what God says about it. The pastor asked the young woman, do you see that God says what you're doing is wrong? The young woman answered, yes, I know it's wrong. I'm just asking God to show me what to do. The pastor says she began to cry and through her tears explained to them that earlier that week she had been, been woken up in the middle of the night with these doubts about the relationship she was in, wondering if she should break it off. So she prayed to God for a sign. The next day was their anniversary, she said. As she drove to work, she had this thought that her boyfriend had never sent her flowers to work. When she walked into the office, guess what was there? A bouquet of roses. And the young woman looked at the pastors and asked, Was that a message from God? Is that my answer? See, the young girl was so consumed with getting a sign from God that she was missing the sign he had already written down in the Word. Don't we do that? We know an action we're doing. We know something we're doing is wrong or not right. Doesn't line up with the word of God. Well, God, show me, show me, show me this. God, I, I showed it to you. It's right there in the word. I, I can't go back on that. I am a God of my word, and I will not go back for that. But here's the reality. You and I, when we do that, we're just looking for an out. Come on. We're looking for a way around it. And God's word is speaking to us. And the real question is, will we listen? Will we listen and obey even when it, we don't like what it says about our situation? As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, guys, this is going to be close. God's word must have the final authority in our life. Not our feelings, not our emotions, not a sign or a dream, not a friend's opinion. God's word must be the final authority in our life. So, here's the thing. What we say we believe makes no difference unless we act on that belief. What we say we believe makes no difference unless we act on it. Here's what I mean. If I were to ask you, is the Bible... The authoritative word of God. Is the Bible the word of God? Not of those would be a resounding yes, even non-Christians. Yes, here in the South. Yes, it's the word of God. 
But I'd have to say most of the time we're blowing smoke. Because until his word actually begins to change the way we live, the way we think, the way we respond to people, the way we talk, the, come on. The, until it changes those things, all it is is a bunch of religious jargon that we're quoting. Second Timothy, Paul, Paul doesn't just say that certain scriptures God breathed. He says all of it. Not just the parts we like. Not just the parts we agree with. All scripture is God breathed. And I'm telling you guys, when we really begin to submit ourselves to it, to what it teaches, it, it will begin to change how we think. Listen, anybody that knows me, men and were talking about this yesterday or the day before, about, uh, about a situation, about someone, how they responded. And, and I said, babe, I said, we respond, yeah, but... Uh, but look where we're at now. I said, yeah, we've got a lot of years on them. We don't, thank God we don't respond that way anymore. Because I'm going to tell you, I am not the same man I was even a year ago. Why? Because I didn't say, well, this is just the way I am. No. Word of God, you, you're saying this? I need to change. I need to change. There are things in me. I need to you, you, you're saying I need to love everybody regardless? But God, I have a problem with this. this but your word said, I, I need to change. I need to change. I'm telling you. What would happen if King Josiah changed nothing when he heard the word of God? Or what if he had taken what he heard read and twisted it to make, him, make it sound like he wanted it to sound? But he, along with thousands of others, would have paid the price for it. But Josiah allowed the word of God to transform him. See, he, he did. He allowed the word of God to do what we've got to start doing. Instead of reshaping God's word to fit into our lives, we've got to begin to allow God's word to reshape our lives. Instead of us reshaping, retwisting God's word to make it fit us. No, let's allow what God said to begin to shape us and reshape those things. If we're going to truly change, if we're going to be the revival that our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers so desperately need, we've got to get this into us. When my life doesn't align with the word of God, my prayers, God, let me be the first one that says, you know what? This isn't lining up. You're right. I'm wrong. I repent. Let me be the first one. Now let's talk about the second king. It was Josiah's son, Jehoiakim. Here's what the Bible says about him in 2 Kings 23, 37. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Now when you look at Jeremiah 36... It goes into more detail about what he did when the word of God was read to him. Check out the difference. Jeremiah 36, 21. The king sent Jehuda to get the scroll. Jehuda brought in, brought it, brought it from Elishamah's house. I said read it fast and nobody would notice. Uh, and read it to the king as all his officials stood by. So he said, hey, go get the scroll. Read it to me. All of his officials, 
Let me ask you, when Josiah heard the word of God read to him, what did he do? Tore his robes and repented. Look how his son responds, verse 23. Each time Judah finished reading three or four columns, the king took a knife, cut off that section of the scroll. He then threw it into the fire, section by section, until the whole scroll was burned up. Neither the king nor his attendants showed any sign of fear or repentance at what they heard. No conviction, no repentance. Josiah tore his robes. Jehoiakim tore up and cut up the word of God. Josiah repented. Jehoiakim allowed his heart to grow hard and cold. Josiah changed his life after hearing God's word. Jehoiakim burned up the word of God. See, here's the truth, guys. If I can get Bubba to come on up. You'll do one of two things with the word of God. You'll either respond to it with repentance. God, I know, I know how I was brought up, but what your word says I'm wrong, you're right, and I repent. And you allow that word to transform the way you think, the way you see people, the way you do things. Or you'll respond by denying the word of God or twisting it to make it say what you want it to say. And here, here's the scary part. How you respond to the word of God will not only affect you, just like King Jehoiakim and King Josiah, it affected those in their kingdom. It will affect those in your kingdom, those in your circle. How you respond. Parents, if your kids see you, quickly respond in repentance. Quickly respond and say, you know what, God, I'm wrong in this situation. They'll get a model of what their life should look like. But if they see you respond, well, this doesn't apply to me. Then they'll grow up thinking it doesn't apply to them either. How you respond is vital. Stand with me, Apostle. See, there is no neutral. There's no neutral ground when it comes to responding to the word of God. You'll either respond with, repentance and allowing it to change you or and you say well Kelly I just, I'm just not going to respond well that is a response and maybe you don't physically tear it up cut it out or burn it but when you know what God says about this area of your life and you do nothing to line your life up with what the word of God you're basically tearing it up throwing it out and acting as if it's nothing so what are you going to do with what you have now? We want to change. We want things to be different, guys. If we really want 2023 to be different, if we want revival in us and in our families, if we want to break free from addictions or these certain patterns or sins that have been uh, given down to pass down to us for generations, we must allow the Word of God to be tr to transform the way we think, the way we see, the way we believe. Are you hearing me, guys? 
Y'all know me. I am not a religious person at all. In fact, I was on the phone for 30 minutes with a pastor that called me because he knew I had tattoos and was so worried because his son had got tattoos. What does he need to do about it? What does he need to do? And uh, he's out of the house. And so I was trying to say, y'all know me. That's, but here's what, I'm, what scares me about the direction the church has been heading for a while. We become prisoners to our freedom. And what I mean is this. We, we want to declare our freedom. Well, I, I, the Bible says I'm free. I'm free indeed. I can do this. I can do And we're so obsessed with what we can do that we kind of overlook what God says he wants us to do. Are you hearing me? Man, I... I, I and again, y'all, if you hang around with me, you know I am not religious. You, you go out bowling, playing some kind of sport with me, you're liable to hear me let a cuss word out. Uh, well, okay, you probably will. So I'm, but I'm not that person. But I'm allowing God to transform me. When God says, Kelly, this is wrong in your life, I don't argue with him. There was a time, my wife will tell you, that I argued with God. Well, God, it's just on the going side, which I'm coming to find out is probably more on my mama's side than it was my daddy's side, this anger issue. But that used to be my excuse. And finally, y'all heard me talk. I said, you know what? God, your word says this is wrong. The way I respond to my wife, the way I talk to people, the way I get angry, it's wrong. And if your word says it's wrong, I want to change. And I began to allow it to change me. And I'll tell you, keep making excuses and nothing will ever change. Quit, quit, keep twisting God's word to make it fit your life. Nothing will ever change. Because you cannot make it fit your lifestyle and then expect the blessings that come from being a follower of Jesus. Man, if you, were, if you weren't a Christian, today was a great day to be here. Because all the, all the Christians, man, flesh is burning right now. It is on me. But if you're not a Christian, let me say this. This is a great community to be part of. And I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about following Jesus. We're not, a, we're, we're not a, a place of perfect people. The church is not. Church is always not. People are going to let you down. People in the church are going to let you down. Pastors are going to let you down. But my hope, get, get this, my hope is not in a man. It's in God. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm going to do a couple different altar calls. If you're here,